1: Okay, y'all, grab your Capri Suns or your Surge and let's talk about some true crime. Hey, guys, welcome back to Killer Queens. Yay. Yay. We're so happy you've joined us. (laughs) Yeah, we're so happy that we're going to tell you about the most ridiculous see you next Tuesday Mm -hmm. next to Jodi Arias and Casey Anthony. Oh, yes. Basically, we're going to punish you. For exactly. <laughs> That's the kind of friends we are. Yup.
0: Yeah. Yup. Yep. <laughs>
1: oh no. Okay. So we should probably go ahead and explain. All right. Well. Yeah. Let's explain that. So, Tori, what's a Uper? Oh Jesus. A Uper, or as they like to say, a youper, <laughs> is someone who hails from the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Why they call them Upers is because they call it the UP. And uh, I'm going to be honest with you guys. If you're from there, sorry about what's to come. But also, I hate it. I
0: hate the term Uper. It's uh, hate it. That's not ideal. No. I um, it's
1: well, at one point I'm like, how did you how are you spelling the word bags? Uh-huh. There's a hidden eye in there somewhere. There's 11 eyes. There's got to be bags. Yes. But we're from Tennessee. We get it if you think we sound stupid because we're southern and we're going to have a little fun with it, okay? Yeah. Oh, it, it's inevitable and we cannot help it. No, we can't. Um, no, we sure can't. And it's very
0: reminiscent Of the movie. Oh, oh. How did I forget the name of the movie?
1: Don't cry out. (laughs) Yes, Drop Dead Gorgeous. Yes, Drop Dead Gorgeous. Like, it's such a good movie. It's so funny. They all have the same accent. Um, The Mount Rose teen Princess (laughs) Piaget. Yeah, it's so funny. So, um, anyway, there was just, you know, there's a lot of that in this case. And, um, that's probably where we're gonna have our have our fun, yeah. So just mm-hmm. letting you know, if um if accents bother you, bad accents like us <laughs> doing it badly, then you might have to skip this one because yeah, because it's Cause what we're doing. It's gonna be a lot. Yes. Yep. Also, just as a you know, hey, in case you didn't know about it. We have a Patreon. And if you, you sure want do? extra episodes or ad free episodes, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's, I feel like that's kind of a, the biggie, right? Yes. Well, no, so. the extra episodes is too, but it's all that in a bag of chips. Oh, <laughs> there it is. <laughs> so, especially the ad free episodes, but especially the bonus episodes, then you're going to want to check that out. Three episodes a week, y'all. Nobody else gives that kind of. Mm -mm, mm -mm. yeah we said this last week we're the very first patreon to ever give three bonus episodes a week Mm -hmm. we're in the guinness book of world records yes exactly you're not gonna get anything like that from anybody else no matter how hard you look and you don't need to because we've already done the research for you yeah don't check it no because you don't need to you're just wasting your time also it's a known fact that everybody who joins the patreon also goes in the guinness book of world records yay so you know there we go. But, you know, patreon.com slash killer queens pod. We do some fun stuff in there. We're going to try to do a lot more fun stuff this year. I don't know what yet, but we're tossing some things around. Yeah. And maybe if you join, you can help us figure it out. Yeah. That would be cool. Cause like, you know, what do you guys want to do? How are we going to hang out? So, you know, let us know. Yeah. But without further ado, you think we should do it? Oh yeah. (laughs) Oh yeah. (laughs) Kelly fucking Cochran. Here we yes. go. Yeah. So we're going to start out in, of course, the UP mm. with all the Upers, <laughs> And so it's close to the Canadian border. Super remote. Mm-hmm. Very remote. This is Iron River and it's close to almost 1 million acres of the Ottawa National Forest. That sounds like it needs a mall on it. Oh, Yeah like think? a mall of america. Oh, oh. Yeah. You think they you think they'd have the parking lot of america to go with the mall of america. <laughs> <laughs> um okay. yeah, please, you know, and obviously we don't want them all there, but no no. I just feel like when there's a lot of open land and it's, you know, needs to be preserved, people are like, "No, it be good right there a parking lot." That's what we <laughs> parking exactly. Some yeah. storage facilities. Oh my god. Stor- we have gotten so many storage facilities lately; it's ridiculous. Do we need that many? I don't. I don't know. I don't think so. But tons of people are moving here, so it kind of makes sense, I guess. But they move there. I've heard this about. I don't know several places. Like people will be like, "Well, you know, you come here because it's kind of the end of the road. You know, you're trying to disappear and run from your troubles and stuff." Hmm. But Kelly Cochran actually did so. Yes, there you have. You have true, that. true, true. Yep. So we are going to transport you back to October 27th, 2014. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Police Chief Laura Frizzo, uh, she gets approached by a woman named Terry O'Donnell, who went to her office. Chief Frizzo mentioned that that day would change her life forever. Terry wanted to report someone missing. Terry is described as a school teacher who was very distraught about a man that she knew that went missing. And the man's name is Christopher Carl Reagan. Now, there's sometimes that he's called Reagan and sometimes that he's called Regan. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say Reagan. Yeah, it looks like Reagan to me. I know. He was 53 years old, about 6'1", blonde hair, blue eyes, and had a thin build. He also had two sons. And Chris Reagan is Terry's ex-boyfriend. Terry said that she met Chris in the 1980s and they started out as friends. Then decades later, through the magic of Facebook, they reconnected. (laughs) And they started a long-distance relationship. Both were divorced, had previous uh, marriages, and wanted to begin dating. And they got pretty serious. Terry said that she wanted to spend the rest of her life with him. But after about a year and a half, so Chris had lived somewhere else and then moved up to the UP. And then he got tired of being there and wanted to look for a job elsewhere. Yeah, but did he? So, would he have grown up there? Because she seemed like a lifer, like a like a uper for life, right? She had yes. the accent. I feel like oh, she was like born yes. and raised there, and they knew each other in high school, I think. So, okay, yeah, that's what I was he, wondering. Was at high school? Yes, he moved away, then came back. Okay, yeah, he he seemed like a free spirit kind of guy. He would move around, like. You know, because he's getting ready to accept a job somewhere else because he didn't want to live there anymore. But I think, yeah, I think he had just kind of moved, bounced around places, and he was a pretty adventurous kind of guy too. Yeah, just a leaf blown in the wind. Yeah. So Terry and Chris's relationship ended amicably, and they still spoke regularly, like multiple times a day, I think, Mm -hmm. up until mid-October. And that's when Terry doesn't hear from him. So, two weeks after that, she goes and reports him missing. And she said that she hadn't spoken to Chris since October 14th. She said that he had just accepted a job in North Carolina and was excited to move. And then that was like it from him. And they talked every day still, didn't they? Yeah. They were talking all the time. So, for them not to, for her not to to hear, yeah, there's, and she, she knew immediately. Something is wrong, but he was also getting ready to move for that job. So it's like, well, did he move and not say anything? Yeah, like which again, wouldn't have happened. But yeah, it's very out of character for Chris, but you don't want to jump the gun. I mean, I get it. It's like, you know, let's Mm -hmm. wait it out. See what happens. People can surprise you. Yeah. Yeah. So Chief Rizzo has a hard time pinpointing exactly when Chris went missing. Like, did he go missing? the day before Terry comes into her office? Did he go missing the day that she heard last from him? Like, who knows? So chief Rizzo's sergeant, Sergeant Cindy Barrett came into the office and Terry tells her that her parents were Chris's landlord. And Barrett was like, okay, Terry, let's go to Chris's apartment so we can see what's going on. And Barrett said that it was obvious from the state of the apartment that Chris had been packing, so Terry lets her in because they you know she's got the keys her parents are the landlord, and they go in and like everything's in like disarray, and that's very unlike Chris as well. He's very neat and tidy, mm-hmm. but he's in the process of moving. So is that normal or is that, you know? yeah, I also was just like, we're talking about somebody who's missing, and she's not wearing gloves, like, not even new. No. Uh-uh. She's touching everything. She's like trying to get into his com- well, she's getting into his computer. She's like, touching so much stuff which is like "Mm." you're contaminating the crime scene but you know I guess we don't have to tell you that (laughs) yeah So yeah, Chris in his apartment he had suitcases. He had to do lists, to do lists regarding moving tasks. He had tutu lists. <laughs> <laughs> Two. I'm sorry. Was that he was going to make some tutus or like tutu? Was he an owl? I'm. Com- what owl have you ever heard that says tutu? No. You're lists. getting on my nerves now. I can't. I just can't even talk to you. I actually quit the podcast. Oh, that's all it took. To do. <laughs> Damn. Wow, I didn't think that you'd be this excited. Okay. I need you. Okay. 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 So Terry tells Barrett. I'm just. Mo- I'm. I'm going on without it's so you. alliteration, though. Oh, uh, to okay. Terry tells. It's a lot. Terry tells Barrett that the last time she spoke to Chris was October 14th at 6 a.m. Wow. I'm not chatty that early. I'll get I up that early, but I'm sure not going to call somebody on chat the phone. I to with you that early, but yeah, yeah you're not that's true. No, yeah. I, I'll i be awake, but I will get to you when I get to you. Yeah, I don't like Can't that. do it. Can't. <laughs> well, that's how I am at night. I'm like texting you and I don't hear from you again until the next day. Because I'm old and asleep. You fell asleep? <laughs> So she said that he was going to go for a drug test the following day. And if he passed, which she was like, of course he would, that that would be the last thing he had to do before getting his job. And Terry said, I mean, she was happy for him and she wanted him to do what he wanted to do, but she was upset that he was leaving. So it was yeah. like uh, mixed emotions, bittersweet, right? Mm-hmm. Well, then she said that he never showed up to his appointment the next day. So he's supposed to go to the drug t- for the drug test the next day and he just never showed up to it. And... When they're in the apartment, you see things in his apartment that he left that he would need, like eyeglasses, medications, things like that. So if he had already left, yeah, it just he would look have likely. right? Right Yeah: Yeah. So Terry feels like there's somebody like somebody had been in the apartment that shouldn't have been in there.
0: hmm
1: Who knows? Well, yeah, because there was like stuff left all over that she's like, he wouldn't have left things this way. There was like dirty dishes still in the sink and like, yeah, all kind of stuff. She's like, it just seems like somebody was in here. Yes, yeah, like foul play or something. Yeah. So Terry tells Barrett that Chris's car was last seen at something called the park and ride. We don't have that here. I don't know what this means. It's a carpooling area. And it's on the outskirts of Iron River. But again, I don't know what the fuck a park and ride is. Well, what I was wondering, so I know that like by the airport, there's, but I think it's called the park and fly. So I don't know what the ride part is, but like you can go and park at this place and then they'll shuttle you to the airport kind of thing. So Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's like, then you would get a shuttle to, I don't know what, like a train station or maybe it's like, yeah, I don't know. They don't really know. Is of carpooling? So I'm guessing maybe a bunch of people meet up there, and then you just leave your car there, and one person drives everybody. Okay, it's yeah, it's just a parking lot where you can leave your car. Okay, yeah, that makes sense too. So Barrett was like, "I'm going to go out and look at his car," and Terry's like, "I'm going to go with you." So they go, and they notice inside of his car, and Terry was like, "His car was his baby." But Which she, was interesting. it was a Genesis? Yeah. Was that? It was just like a little is car. Is it a Hyundai Genesis? Yeah. yeah. But it, I mean, you know, to each his own. He loved that yeah. car. Yes. I mean, it's... I just thought it know. was kind of funny because I was expecting it to be like, a, I don't know, a Corvette or something. Right? It, it, was it was like... like a Roddy. She's and and like, like, yeah, this is his baby. And it's like a Hyundai Genesis. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Exactly. So they notice in the car that there was a brace That, or like a, yeah, knee brace that was in the passenger seat. And Terry was like, he just had knee surgery. So he should have been wearing that at all times. And Terry was like, can you please get into the trunk? Can we please open the trunk? And she was afraid that Chris was in the trunk of the car. But when they get into the car later and open the trunk, it's empty. There's nothing in there. Yeah, that's pretty, um, that's a hard thing to have to, you know, like, could he possibly be in the trunk? That's a scary thought to have to have about somebody who you love, you know? I mean, mm-hmm. she's still she I she would marry him in a heartbeat still if she could. Oh yeah. I she's think. was so in love with him it's still. Sad. It's a very obvious. Yes. Yeah. So there were thoughts that Chris had possibly gotten like lost in the woods, but and that's like kind of the first thoughts that they had, right? Cause they're like, well, maybe he maybe he went hunting or something or whatever. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And just got lost in the woods. Cause these woods are vast. There's a ton of land there. Mm -hmm. But they kind of nixed that idea pretty quickly because there wasn't much validity in that. Like Frizzo said that oftentimes hunters and overdue fishermen, they're reported hours after going missing. So it wouldn't have been two weeks later. I don't know. Yeah. uh, And I wonder, so I think, I feel like she said that it would be like within hours just because of the fact that like If you're overdue, you have a return date, you know? Like, oh, Mm -hmm. he was supposed to go fishing today. He should have been back by dinner, though. It's the next morning. Mm -hmm. He's lost at sea or whatever. Yeah, it wouldn't have been two weeks. Two weeks, exactly, Yeah. yeah. But also, like, what would he have been doing anywhere else for two weeks? Well, what would he have been doing there? Like, he didn't, I feel like he was pretty, he was very... Kind of a creature of habit, you know? And I feel like if he was oh, going to yeah. go on something like this hunting trip by himself, he would have let somebody know. He, Terry would have known for sure he was going hunting, so. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, of course, you want to you wanna follow all the leads, but right. it, that kind of didn't ring true, I guess. Yeah, it doesn't. I don't. I can see why they nixed that idea pretty quickly. Right. So. Chief Frizzo gets Chris's car towed back to the state police forensic lab for processing, and they get search warrants for his cell phone records and his bank info. His last bank card purchase was for gas in Iron River on October 14th at 4 p.m. And then Frizzo gets footage of Chris from the gas station, and she can make out what he was wearing. And it was just funny because she's like, yeah, he was wearing a t-shirt and jeans. And I'm like... That's very specific. (laughs) Thank you so much for letting us know. Yeah, exactly. He was wearing clothes. Mm -hmm. He had a shirt and also pants. (laughs) Exactly. So Frizzo reaches out to the state police commander and she tells him that they don't have a detective and that they're super understaffed and that she needed help. So Mm -hmm. three detectives responded from Michigan State Police and they immediately feel that Terry is the number one suspect. Yeah. Which... I get, yeah, you need to look into her. Yeah, I mean, the reasons being they had a romantic relationship Mm -hmm. and it's not unheard of for somebody to be like, well, he's leaving, which is why we're ending our relationship. Therefore, I killed him because like, if if I can't have him, nobody can. Like, yeah, that's totally possible. Yeah, as far as they know, she's the last person to talk to him. She talked to him the day of. And yeah, so apparently Terry... Had noticed that Chris had been in contact with other women online. And they're like, well, that could have been the motive, right? Detectives questioned Terry for over two hours. And Terry was like, straight up pissed about it. She's like, I did not do this. Like, yeah. Cause she could tell that they were definitely looking at her as a suspect. Yeah. And I also think, like, if, you know, if you didn't do it, look at like Scott Peterson's interviews. The night that he reports Lacey missing, he's cool as a cucumber. He's got all the time in the world to talk to him, right? He's just Mm -hmm. like, oh, yeah, you know, he's not saying stuff like, why are you looking at me when you could be out there looking for her? Like, you're in the wrong area. And I know that not everybody would know to say that, but Terry is getting pissed and she's because that's what she's thinking you're wasting time. Like, do what you need to do to clear me so that we can find him because there's something going on. Exactly. So the detectives, they wanted to bring Terry in for a polygraph test. And Frizzo's like, no, I believe her. She seems believable. I don't think that Terry did it. So this is kind of the first time that Frizzo and the detectives that are on the case too do not get along. Yeah, I mean she like she thinks she's doing and I think she did. She's doing the right thing by saying, like, she's putting her ego aside and saying, I need help. I don't have enough. I'm ill equipped. Yeah. To handle this. And she feels like immediately they're going in the wrong direction. And it's like, guys, yeah, we don't need to waste time with this. We need yeah. to Well, and I'm sure she feels like, okay, I needed help, but not this kind of help. You guys are definitely like hindering rather than helping. Right. So the local news runs a press release for Chris Reagan on their website. And in the comments, someone says, does anybody know Dale Vassar? And Chief Frizzo is like, I do. (laughs) This is interesting because it is such a small town. Mm -hmm. It really is like an everybody knows everybody kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Because here, if you see something on like a news website There's like thousands and thousands and thousands of comments. And I have not never once looked through something on like a news website and been like, oh, I know this person. Oh, I know this. You know, like, Mm -hmm. I mean, I can go not now, but in the before days when you could go places like if I made, you know, five stops in a day, which I would never do. I wouldn't That's see another person that I'd ever seen before. You mm-hmm. know, it's just, it's crazy to me. Yeah. But anyway, they they literally all know each other. It's very small. But Chief Rizzo is like, well, yeah, I do. So he had been in some trouble with the law before. He was known to have kind of a bad temper. He was definitely very difficult to deal with. He's the kind of guy that you're just like, oh, if you see him coming in, you just like, <laughs> do not want to deal with him. Yeah. He had also rented an apartment for a short time from Terry's parents. So he lived next to Chris. And at one time, he helped Chris with a drywall job. And Terry was like, look, Chris was is a perfectionist. He was not pleased with Dale's work. And I guess let him know about it. So there was a theory that maybe since they knew each other, maybe they'd gotten into some sort of an altercation and something had happened to Chris at Dale's hands. So Michigan State Police locate him. They interview him in their vehicle. They were asking him about the drywall job. And they're like, you know, do you remember doing this job for Chris? And he's like that's who lived across from me? Like, <laughs> I might have talked to him one time. If that's who uh, Chris is, I never put it together. Like, he did not realize that the, that the press releases and like all these things that he's seeing about this missing person is the same guy. To be honest, whenever I heard this, I was like, oh, yeah, fucking right, man. Like, I know better than this. That guy's clearly lying because I am a terrible investigator. Well, I didn't believe him either because I'm like, you did. But I guess I guess in my mind at first, I was thinking that they did this job together or that they had a lot of contact. But he said he only talked to him like barely and then he did the job. So it's like, he's like, I didn't have a whole lot of contact with him. He's like, I don't even know if I could really pick him out of a lineup. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. And then he's like, that's the only time I ever talked to him. And then I just, I haven't talked to him since then. And he ends up taking a polygraph and he had an ironclad alibi. He wasn't even in the state of Michigan when Chris disappeared. So they feel pretty comfortable passing over him. Mm -hmm. The next place they try to get some information was Chris's employer. So he worked for a military contractor called the Oldenburg Group. And there is a former HR director, Laura Sartori, that they questioned. And she said that Chris was, you know, very smart, very sharp individual. He, like once he started there, he was appointed supervisor pretty quickly. And there were several people who were angry about that because, you know, like he had this military background and he was very good at his job and all these things that qualified him. And then he moved up really quickly just because of his work ethic and his skills and all the things. But there were people that worked there that were like, well, what the fuck? I've been here longer and he got promoted before me. So there were plenty of people who did not like him. Yeah. And it is weird whenever you work with somebody and you're on the same level and then all of a sudden they become your boss. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously that's going to ruffle some feathers. Is that a motive for murder? It can be, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. That's the thing. If you look at, if you say anything, literally, if you're like, I ordered an iced coffee and they gave me a hot coffee, technically, motive for murder. I know. Just depending on who you come across. Exactly. Well, and with that kind of motive that we just talked about, I'm reminded of who killed little Gregory. Mm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody jealous about not being able to move up. Ugh, yeah. So like the success weird. of someone else. Yeah. So, Laura says the last day that Chris worked was October 14th. She said he did have a slip to be out of the office on the 15th. So they weren't expecting him to be there that day. So the red flags didn't go off at his job until the 16th. And, you know, he was moving fairly soon. But Mm -hmm. she's like, he is not just going to not come back. You know, he's not me. Yeah. He wouldn't do what we used to do, which was leave on lunch break and just never show back up. Yeah. And it would really piss me off when people would call me over and over. I'm like, clearly I'm not coming back. (laughs) And now I'm like, they probably thought I was dead. Right. Like, like, I am trying to ignore you. And you're making this impossible. Hello, I quit without telling you I quit. Leave me alone. (laughs) Yeah. This was like a hundred years ago when we were 18. Yeah. Yeah, And they were lucky to have us. Oh, definitely. Yeah. (laughs) But they're like, that's just not something that he's going to do. So they start talking to, okay, well, is he, is he close with any coworkers? Like are there any you know, are there people here that we should be talking to? So Laura's like, well, actually, he was seeing one of our other employees. This is just rumors, but I think they were seeing each other, and her name is Kelly Cochran, And Tori, what have you been calling her? <laughs> okay. I have been calling her Kelly Cochrane Katsopoulos because <laughs> as soon as I heard the last name Cochrane I was like Jesse Cochrane because in the first couple episodes I don't know when they changed his name but Uncle Jesse he his name in the beginning is Jesse Cochrane and then like uh, over time nobody talks about it it just magically transforms into Jesse Katsopoulos because John Stamos is Greek and they wanted to mirror that I guess so that's so funny. I guess it's kind of like how Blanche wasn't Southern at first. No, yeah. It's like five episodes in, then all of a sudden she... And it's so... It's such an like innate blanche It's like so Uncle Jesse. And I'm like, mm-hmm. uh-huh, okay, all right. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. But fun. anyway, of course, that's where my mind... That's how my mind works. So yeah, so anytime we talk about this case, we're like, Kelly Cochran gets up. Yes. But, okay, so he's seeing this woman, Kelly Cochran, allegedly. Yes. And Kelly was hired as an electrical assembler. And according to rumors, they'd been hooking up after Chris and Terry had broken up. So sometime during that summer. And everybody... Most people, if you ask them about Kelly, they're like, "She's really nice. She's got a like a high energy, and you know she's she really talking." Never to met it. a stranger. Yeah, yeah, never met a stranger, and blah 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 blah. Like they were like, she was the kind of person who would go over without being asked and cut her elderly neighbor's grass after she cut her <laughs> own. Like, and that's great. That's really great. She is such a bitch. I hate yeah, her. We I know too much about her. To we believe know this too bullshit. much. Yeah. So. Apparently during this time, Kelly was having some problems at home because she had told Laura that at one point, Kelly said that her husband had tried to kill her and then was going to kill himself. And so Laura was like, felt really bad for her. And because I guess people at work had noticed that she was kind of like acting differently. And I don't know. So Laura's like, hey girl, what's going on? And she tells her this. And she she really thought about that. It affected her and she felt really bad for Kelly. And so she said, she went home and was like, Hey, they had like a little, she and her husband had a like little apartment that they had attached to their house. And she's like, I really think we should, you know, let her move in. And she's like, What would you think about letting her move in? You know, cause her husband tried to kill her and then said he was going to kill himself. And her husband was like, That is not a good idea. And yeah, that's not just a no, that's a hell no. Yeah, and thank God he did because who knows what kind of stuff they would have got drug into. So, Laura is HR director. Isn't that Isn't that inappropriate? <laughs> yeah, I think it could be. And then also, I'm sure her husband was like, "Okay, if this man tried to kill her, what's going to stop him from coming to our house and killing us too if he decides yeah. to follow through with the job?" Like I mean, you feel for somebody in that position, but it's also like, what can you do? You know, like that's that's the reason for police officers. Yeah. So she does not move in with them. She stays at her home. Chief Frizzo contacts the state police and she tells them, okay, I've got some information about somebody Chris was seeing. You need to go talk to Kelly at her house and you should bring backup because there's some potential violence there. So. Sergeant Barrett and Trooper Boyer go to the Cochran residence in Caspian, Michigan. Jason Cochran answers the door. So this is Kelly's husband. He was not happy to see the police that night. He was not polite at all. And he seemed very like irritated and agitated. And they ask like, knock, 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 hello. Is Kelly there? And he's like, "Mm, no, she's not home. And they're like, okay. And he's like, well, she should be back in like an hour. And Sergeant Barrett was like, is anybody else in the home right now? And he said, no. And then like one second later, guess who comes to the door? (laughs) Yeah, Kelly. Kelly Cochran. Katopoulos. Yeah, and they're like, what? You just said, not only did you say she's not home and she won't be back for an hour. You also said like, I asked specifically, is there anybody else inside the home? And you said, no. So, like, what what the fuck? So she's very friendly with police. She's super welcoming, very cooperative, you know, all this stuff. I have to wonder, like, what Jason's face did. Like, was he like, like, Kelly, what the fuck, dude? I just yeah. told him you weren't here. Like, yeah, I just lied for you. What are you doing? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I have no idea. So and Sergeant Barrett was like, hey, Dude, Jason, did- <laughs> <laughs> what was that about? Why did you lie? And he was like, oh, well, I thought, you know, I was worried that Kelly was in trouble. So I was just, you know, trying to be like, oh, she's not here. The the gall of some people, like, I'm, I don't know, maybe that's okay. But I can't lie to police officers. Well, no, because... I'll I'm positive that like there will be an impending trial and I'll get the death penalty. Like I don't know. I'm just like terrified. Like well, yeah. whatever the worst that can happen is is gonna happen. Like I would I do not like getting in trouble. Well again, I'm like almost honest to a fault when it comes to police officers because at one time that I was caught speeding and the guy was like excuse me, what were you doing speeding? Why were you going that fast? I was like, because I didn't know you were there. Like, (laughs) I can't lie to you. I 100% did it and I didn't think I would get caught. That's why I did it. Exactly, yeah. Like, I was late. Now I'm not gonna make it at all. Exactly, yeah. So Kelly, they ask her, okay, you know, what about Chris Reagan? Reagan? they call, yeah, they go back and forth with it and it confused me. And when's the last time you talked to him? And she's like, oh, well, you know, I think it was like the 14th or 15th of October. And then I've been trying to like text and call him. He hasn't been answering. And Sergeant Barrett is like, well, his car has been parked at the park and ride for over two weeks. And Kelly's like, what is a park and ride? I don't even know what that is. And they're like, okay. She makes a point to say she's never heard of it. She has no idea what it is. (laughs) And they're like, okay, fine. And then Barrett's like, you know, I have some questions to ask you, but we've been hearing that you guys are maybe have been having an affair, and she's like, "Yeah," mm-hmm. and, and her husband's right there, standing right there, and she's like, "Yeah," and and my husband's fine with it; he knows. And they said that like Jason was standing there while they're talking to her; he's not saying anything; he's not showing any emotion whatsoever, he's like, stoic as a statue. Yeah, and they were like, you know, it's very weird you know just the just the fact that it was like it was like he was there but he wasn't there you know Mm -hmm. so Kelly's like you know if you hear from him let me know and she says i was starting to worry that maybe he left for north carolina without saying goodbye to me and they're like um okay fine so sergeant barrett leaves after they Talk to her and she calls Chief Rizzo and she's like, Something's not right here. There's something weird about this Kelly Cochran, Jason Cochran situation. Exactly. Now we're going to jump to October 28th, 2014. And this is the day after Barrett and Boyer go to the Cochrane home. And Chief Rizzo is like, hey, Cochrane, why don't you come in? We need a question, you guys. So they interview them separately and Kelly goes first. And again, Kelly is very cooperative. She's super talkative. She's very friendly. She's like doing everything right, you know? And she's like, well, the last time I seen him, was in his apartment sometime between the 12th and the 15th. And she said that they had dinner together pretty much every night. And the... Uh, like, <laughs> Poor Barrett is like... Hang, hang Yeah. you ha- So you have a husband, uh-huh. but you are with Chris having dinner every night? Every, every single night. And she's like... Where are you like, having these dinners? Yeah, where are you having these dinners? Like, yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, and she's like, well, we usually have it at Chris's house. Mm -hmm. And she was like, I usually cook. It's at his apartment. And then she was like, he's come to my house like two or three times. And she was like, we're extremely close. And she even says that Chris was like, hey, you should come to North Carolina with me. And she was like, Jason knew all about this. Like, He was totally aware of the affair that I was having. And then she's like, but I was also dating someone else too. So now (laughs) there are three guys in the mix here, right? So we've got Chris, Jason, and then this mystery man. Mm -hmm. But it's also really weird because like in the interviews when they're talking to her, you know, she's like, okay, so who all are you having relationships with or whatever? And she's like, okay, well, that guy, Chris, and my husband. Like, it's just weird to me to say my husband in addition to like these, like, who all are boyfriends? you dating? Well, um, yeah, these two guys and also my husband. It's I like know, right. It's yeah. so crazy. And the way that she's spinning it, where she's like, Jason was totally fine with it. Mm-hmm. The only way that I feel like Jason would be fine with it is if Jason himself has girlfriends, which it doesn't seem like he does. No. Again, I I don't feel like I mean consenting adults, whatever. I just don't know how you remove emotion from that, but whatever. Well, you don't, and in this situation, they don't either. Like Yeah, it, exactly. You know. Yeah. Like, but Kelly is like, listen, Jason used to have cancer or he was like very ill and parts of his body just didn't work right. And so I guess at that moment, the story is that he was like, you have needs that you have to fulfill. You get it. It's fine. According to Kelly. According to Kelly. And so then Detective Bellinger, who is one of the three detectives that came in from the state police, she asks Kelly if she had any other friends, quote unquote friends, because that's what Kelly called them. Mm-hmm. And she was like, well, yes. And they were like, well, okay. <laughs> I thought you'd never ask. Yeah. But then they're like, okay, but who, who is it? We need a name. And she's like, well, is that necessary? Like, yeah, do, do, want, want to? do you really need his name? And they were like, yes, give me his name. Like, Yeah. She's like, serious? listen, we can't say that we're not going to go talk to him, but <laughs> we have to find Chris. And so Kelly's like, okay, his name is Eric Erickson, which at first I was like, is this like a George Glass type of situation? I know. Situation? I thought she was making it up at first. I was like, no, it is not. Louis Lewis know. Lewiston. <laughs> exactly. But the thing is, he's real, mm-hmm. and he was one of Chris's co-workers. Like, he was under, like, Chris was Eric Erickson's supervisor. Yeah. So... She's like, yeah, I was seeing Eric at the same time I was seeing Chris, and at the same time that I'm still married to Jason, and everybody knows about everybody, and everything is fine. Yeah, no problems there. Nobody's jealous. Everybody's super happy to just be like, you know, we're all just having, we're all just fucking the same girl. Yeah, okay, no problem. So they're like, listen, should we be looking at Jason for anything? And she's like, well, I don't see why you'd have a reason to. (laughs) They're like, okay. I guess I just feel like we already went over this. (laughs) I know, because of all of the things that we just now said. Yeah. But they're like, well, we heard from your work that Jason had been threatening to kill you and then kill himself. And she's like, oh yeah, that totally happened. And it was pretty scary. (laughs) She's like, I know for a fact that he would never do anything to Chris out of like jealousy or anger. It's fine. I mean, he's been angry and he's been depressed, but not because of me. Yeah, because... Somebody, your wife seeing multiple other men would not make you upset or jealous or depressed or anything like that. Right. Exactly. So yeah, then here comes Jason. So they they swap. Jason comes in. And it was super weird because he starts the interview like before anybody even asks the first question. He's like, listen, I have to tell you, I'm seeing a therapist. I've got high anxiety. I was institutionalized a little over a month ago. And then he just starts sobbing. Yeah, he, he. yeah, he starts off. I mean, that's, that's concerning. And also, when he went into, like when he was hospitalized, when he checked in, that was what, two days after Chris went missing? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's a strange timeline for somebody who would have had uh, it's a it's a big coincidence if you had uh, nothing to do with it. Yeah, it's kind of a big a big life event after a big life event that you had nothing to do with, quote unquote, like allegedly. Right. Right? Like it's just I don't know. Yeah. So, they're like, "Hey, did you know about the affairs cuz Kelly said you knew about him and you were fine." And he was like, "I knew that she was seeing people, but I wasn't really happy about it." Mm-hmm. And So obviously they're they're spinning two different stories here. It's like, who which one is right? Right. And I mean, I don't think it takes a rocket scientist to figure out that Kelly's the one who's fucking lying. But he said that there was a period where he was not able to even walk and he couldn't have sex. And so that's when he agreed that she could see other people. But apparently that was it was only supposed to be for that amount of time. And he said that he felt responsible because he wasn't man enough for her. And he was like I just had to allow her to do do whatever she wanted or she'd divorce me. Yeah, and I I I feel bad because apparently like it was either I don't know if it was the medication he was on or whatever treatment he was going through or what, but it apparently rendered him impotent either yeah. during that time or for the remainder. I'm not really sure. Yeah. So know. they're not able to sleep together and what he says is she stayed with me during that time and she didn't have to. You know, I was sick and I couldn't sleep with her. And she didn't have to stay with me. And in my mind, I was like, "Yes, yeah, she did. Yeah, she did. Yeah, she did. She's what you your wife. For? Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah, she's, she's supposed to stay with you. And yeah. that's, that's awful <laughs> and it sucks. But like, that's your husband. I, I well, know. and I think that it just shows the character of Kelly Cochran. Uh-huh. Like she, if it doesn't work for her, yes. she's not going to fucking do it. But. I still need to get it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So he was like, I would wait for hours and hours and hours waiting for her to come home. So what she would do was she would like get off of work, come home change, go out and just like be gone forever. And he didn't know where she was. Mm -mm. Yeah. Just go and doing her own thing, whatever she wants to do, however long she wants to be out, whatever. Exactly. So he talks about on October 16th, him going into the psychiatric hospital because he was suicidal. And he was like, I was in the hospital for about five days. But he was like, I never threatened because they're like, Kelly said that you threatened to kill her too. And he's like, no, I never did that. I just, all I cared about was hurting myself. hmm Yeah. And isn't that when they said, they were like, well, she, you know, she said you tried to kill her. And he's like, well, I'd be surprised if she said that. And they're like, no, no, you're not. Li-. She did say that. And he's yeah, like, "Exactly what? She said that? Like, yeah, he was shocked that she said that because it's not true. Right. Yeah. But I mean, that's just like the tip of the iceberg. Mm -hmm. So by November 2014, the Iron River Police had a few resources at their disposal in the search for Chris. So they had helicopters with infrared vision to search the ground. They had a dog team that were searching the whole area. But the big problem here is that once the snow hits, they're going to have to wait until spring. That is a concept that I don't even kind of understand because we live in Tennessee. And if we get a snow, It's going to be in like January, probably February. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be like a dusting. And then a couple days later, it'll be 50 degrees. Yeah. And everybody freaks out. Yeah. I remember one time we had this terrible ice storm a couple years ago. Remember? And you came and picked me up from work. And my car, it was like frozen solid. I couldn't even get into it because the doors were frozen shut. Okay, well, it happened. (laughs) It snowed and then it iced over and there there was like an inch or two, uh, probably not two inches, an inch layer of ice over top of everything. It was awful. Was that when we lived at the other house? I think so. Or did we live at the Haynes house? That's what I'm talking about. I don't remember. I honestly cannot remember where we were living. There, Yeah, there was one, remember, right after Ben was born, but you weren't living with or, I don't know. Anyway, yeah. yeah, we don't. I mean, it's that's yeah, that's wild to me. I've uh, I've heard, I heard another case that was in maybe like Montana or something in the same kind of thing. It was like they just had to stop searching and then they had to wait until May when it began. That was their spring, and I was like, "You're not serious, May? Why do oh people God. live there?" I know that's like so much cold, but right, and I'm sure it's beautiful, but like at what cost? Yeah, that there's. I'm sorry, if, if it's under fifty, I'm fucking freezing, so yeah, but you know, they know that they're up against this time limit. Mm-hmm. so, so they gotta work fast yeah so there's there's this thing right next to the Cochrane's property, and it's called the Caspian Pit, and it used to be an active mine, and there's a lot of open mine pits that they refer to as bottomless because they're just so deep, like. And Frizzo says, if somebody dumps things in these mines, you'll never see them again a lot of times. Like, Mm -mm. and what I was thinking of as a mine is not what this ends up being because it's almost looks like a lake. Right. Yeah, I was a little confused about that too because, yeah, that's what I was thinking was like mine shafts, but that's not Mm -hmm. what this looks like. Mm -mm. But they kind of like, it's it's a possibility that it's something that they may need to be searching because it's definitely close to their property, and unfortunately, it, it would be a great place to hide a body. And mm-hmm. we know that Chris would not have missed that drug test for his new job. You know, he was supposed to be moving to North Carolina with his son. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't be just missing out on that. So they need to look at like all options. And they keep, you know, kind of digging through stuff because, you know, Kelly is like, oh, well, you know, Jason's completely, totally cool with like me dating other people. He's cool that everything's fine. And they start finding text messages where they're they're seeing that Kelly's story isn't, isn't, it's not lining up. It's not, yeah, yeah. So they find a text from Jason that says, don't be with other guys, be with me. Kelly says, you never loved me. Don't ruin my life or hurt me anymore. Jason says, I still love you. Please stop lying to me. You went to lunch with another guy again. Come home after work and no men for lunch, please. Kelly's cell phone record showed that she'd been speaking to Lynn and her son, Curtis Hull. So they are two locals who used to work with Kelly at a diner in Iron River. And Chief Frizzo interviews Curtis. And he says they never met Jason, but that Kelly told them all kinds of things about him. She said he was obsessive, he was having all kinds of affairs, and he would go through her pockets looking for guys' phone numbers. She said he was really controlling, he was super jealous, and that she was ready to ship him off somewhere. She said that he was possibly like dangerous. (laughs) And the state police had interviewed the Cochran's, but Chief Frizzo wanted to interview them too. So she brings in Jason first and she asks him how often Kelly was going out. And he says, you know, it's been getting more and more frequently lately. And he said that he had all these raging thoughts that were going through his mind um, that were like yelling the whole time. He said that Kelly would come home from work, change clothes, just go right back out to meet other men and he like said he had voices in his head and that they were telling him to kill himself because everyone would just be better off without him and he also said he was seeing things and this is where this is where she tells him cuz there's several interviews with him but this is where she tells him you know kelly told people that you tried to kill her and he's like i have no idea what you're talking about but he tells her that he okay so here's another thing kelly and jason only have one vehicle it's a truck Mm-hmm. And and Jason's not working for an extended amount of time. Like he's just... Yeah, he's not yeah. working. So he's at home. So Kelly uses the truck, but she's also using this truck to go be with other men. So while she's at work or she's out with other men or whatever, he would just go for walks. Like go he'd for like... far. Yeah, go for like hikes in the woods and stuff like that. So he told Chief Rizzo that one day he went for one of these walks because he essentially had no access to the vehicle and he went like a different route and he saw the truck parked at Chris's house and she's like okay why did you go in that direction though like because it's a it's a different direction and he walked like many blocks out of the way basically mm-hmm. and she's like why did you go like what was your reason for going in a different direction that particular day And he's like, I don't know. And she's like, did you know that Chris lived there? And he's like, no, I didn't know that he lived there. Like, I didn't realize he lived there until I saw the truck there. And then I figured out that's probably where he lived. And I think he said he saw this like other car in the parking lot that had a kayak on the top of it. And he he knew that Chris, like, or that Kelly had mentioned that she had gone kayaking with him one time. And so he just assumed that that was his house. Mm Mm-hmm. She's getting very suspicious. Now it seems like you knew where he lived. Are you sure you never met him? Yeah, she's pressing harder. Yeah, because he's saying I've never met him. I don't know anything about him. Couldn't pick him out of a lineup kind of thing. And she's really feeling like you're closer to him than you're telling me. Like you know more about him than you're telling me. And he starts saying that maybe he needs to talk to an attorney, which, you know, he probably should have at the beginning, but. Yeah. But they're trying to be cooperative because they think that that's the best thing to do, right? Like, yeah. And not. Kelly thinks that she can outsmart them for sure. Yeah. So then a few minutes later, Frizzo, she brings Kelly in because they swap again. And she's like, dude, had has Jason ever met Chris in person? And Kelly's like, no. Absolutely not. Uh-uh. No way. And she's like, but what about the truck being at Chris's? And like Jason said that he saw it there. And Kelly's like, yeah, I mean, it was it was just there. It was there. Yeah. I told him. And She's like, I didn't think that Jason knew that I was even dating Chris at the time. <laughs> but the time before when she came in, she's like, of course he knew, of course he knew, right? Yeah, it's all it's all over the place. It just yeah, yeah. So she's yeah. So then Kelly is asked to take a lie detector test, and she was like, uh, uh-uh, no way, not doing it. She's like, nope, 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 nope. So Frizzo gets a call from somebody who's like, hey, it's Chris, Reagan. And she's like, yes, I found him. Oh my gosh, cracked this case wide open. Perfect. And then she finds out that it's Chris's son. He was like, it had been two or more weeks since I've spoken with my dad. I don't know anyone up in the UP. Can't talk to anybody about like what happened to him, which is kind of weird to me because unless, I mean, they had a strained relationship and they were trying to rebuild it back up. But it's like, didn't Wouldn't he have known Terry at the very least? That's what I thought. I thought he did know Terry. Though, oh, yeah. I don't know. Maybe, maybe he didn't. I don't know. But he said he didn't know anybody up there, so he couldn't contact him, and he's just waiting because they're supposed to get the house or the place together in North Carolina. And then poor little baby Chris Jr. goes all the way up to Iron River because now his lease is up at his place, and he's got to like move all of his dad's stuff into storage. And I cannot... Imagine, it's January in the UP. Yep. Cold as hell. Cold as hell. Yep. And at this point, Chris has been missing for three months. So, Frizzo is like, okay, we have talked to Kelly. We talk, heard about these three men. We got to find this guy, Eric, that she's also was dating, and we got to ask him about it. Mm-hmm. And Eric, he had been in the military. He... I think he was from the UP or Iron River. I think he was from Iron River. Yeah, he went into the military. Then he got out and he moved back into the into Iron River. He starts working at the Oldenburg Group, and he says that he went out with Kelly a couple times, and then she like moved real quick. She was all over him. She, he said, after a bit of texting, they had sex, and a frizzo or I think it's Frizzo that's interviewing him. She's like, do you remember? Because you don't see, I mean, you see him, but you don't see who's interviewing. But he's like, they're like, do you remember the first time you guys had sexual inter? And she doesn't even get the word out. And he's like, oh yeah, I totally remember when yeah. that happened. He was yep. like, uh, it was a warm sunny day. I don't know. She's yeah. like, <laughs> okay. like, okay, that's kind of weird. Like, did you write it on your calendar, man? I know, but, yeah. Yeah, he's like, Kelly came and picked me up in her truck. She drove him to a place that he suggested, which was Wildwood Lake. And it's very close to the park and ride Mm-mm. where Chris's car was abandoned. She's never heard of the park and ride. No. Right. Yeah. She has no idea. Mm-mm. So, and then also he's like, yeah, I mean, we had sex a couple of times and I went over to her house one time. We had sex in her bed. I'm like, what are you doing, Kelly? And also Jason doesn't work. He's always home. Yeah. And that's what, The detective, I swear it's Rizzo. Oh, my God. I keep wanting to call her Rizzo from Greece. Yeah. Rizzo Rizzo. was like, you weren't worried that Jason was going to be there, that he was going to come in or anything? And he's like, I didn't really think about it. I don't know. Right. No idea. Yeah, like, what about he, and he doesn't have a car either. So all he does is wander around. (laughs) Like, yeah. But Eric said that Kelly was like, listen, Jason is completely out of the picture. So that's, that's the story that he got, and that's what he thought. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And he was talking about like her texting style. So apparently she's like texting, 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 all in completely like giving you all of her attention or he wouldn't hear from her for days. Mm -hmm. And it was like always on her schedule. And he said that he knew that Kelly and Chris were dating throughout the entire time that he was messing around with her too. And Frizzo was like, can I go through your phone? And he's sitting there and she takes the phone and she sees a text from Kelly that's on from October 12, 2014. So this is two days before Chris goes missing. And it says something about like leaving work, heading out to camp. This is from him. He texts her and it says, hey, I'm leaving work. I'm going out to camp. Are you home? Then they meet up and they're like, she's like, where did you guys meet up? And he's like, oh, we met up at the parking ride. <laughs> she's like, you gotta be fucking kidding me right now. Yes. And she's like, excuse me, can are you willing to take a polygraph test? And he's like, yeah, of course I am. Yeah, sure. And he talks about it. He's like, I was so nervous, which I think is, it's not because he was guilty. It's us. (laughs) You know, we're Mm -hmm. like, I know I'm not doing anything wrong, but I know that they're going to arrest me for something. Mm -hmm. That's how he felt. But he passes it. And he's like, well, thank God. So Frizzo is like, listen, you're free to go, but you need to watch out for Jason because I think that he is dangerous. And Chris is like, listen, you need to watch out for Kelly because she's a fucking liar. Mm-hmm. So don't exactly believe everything that you hear. Right.
0: And
1: yeah. Well, I think one of the things about Kelly is she's so disarming mm-hmm. and she's so very she is charismatic. She can she can disarm anybody. She makes you feel very comfortable and all these things. And so even though her stories about Jason aren't lining up, it do, he's, he's a big guy. Like, it does still seem like he would be the more dangerous of the two. Mm-hmm. And that's your first mistake. Like, you couldn't be more wrong, you know? Like, just being like, oh, well... She's a tiny woman. I mean, she's right. not tiny, but you know, like yeah, she's just a she's just a woman, and he's like this big, tough dude. Like she's running shit. It just doesn't mm. seem that way at first. Exactly. So she keeps going through text messages and uh, Chief Frizzo, and she finds one from October the twentieth between Kelly and this guy named Art Johnson, who's another coworker of Kelly's. Kelly didn't go very far <laughs> when she talks to anybody. No. And Art had messaged asking when she'd heard from Chris. And she's like, oh, you know, not since last week. And Art had been off work when Chris had gone missing. He'd had carpal tunnel surgery. But he said that everybody at work knew that Kelly and Chris were together. Mm -hmm. And when Chris found out about it, he was not happy. He said that Chris was a very private man. And he he didn't want anybody knowing his business, but he's also a supervisor. And it doesn't look good. I mean, they weren't in the same department. But it still doesn't look good, you know? It's like it's frowned upon. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Well, and yeah, I think because Chris knew based on everybody else in the whole company knowing about their relationship, he's like, Kelly, what the fuck are you saying? Like, stop telling people about it. Yeah. And she's like, I didn't tell anybody about it. And he's like, well, then how does everybody know about it? Like, yeah, you did. You told somebody like, you know. Mm-hmm. Come on. So that's, you know, again, is this a motive? Is she rejected? Does she feel rejected because he was like, why are you telling people? Mm-hmm. And then he's like, okay, well, I'm cutting the relationship off. I don't want to deal with this anymore. Like, that's a possibility. Yeah. So the state police are thinking that Chris had killed himself or he'd try to make himself disappear. Frizzo, I think, is pretty much on the assumption that Kelly Cochran did something to him. Kelly and mm-hmm. Jason did something. So she's working around the clock on this case. And she ends up getting the like community of Iron River involved. And they helped raise money to keep... The investigation going because you know, this is a small city, they've got limited resources, and this case became personal to her, and she didn't want to give up on it. So, they end up hiring a PI, and this is Jim McNeil and Molly Barron. So, they end up in March of 2015 getting enough information together or enough evidence together to get a search warrant for Kelly and Jason's house. So they show up at the house. They're like, hey, girl, good morning. Get out of here. This is our house now. And the Cochrane's. (laughs) We need you to leave until we're done with the search here. Yeah. And every time they. So there's like, there's foot, like body cam footage of all of this. And anytime like Frizzo sees Jason, he's like, oh shit. Like you can see this look (laughs) on his face, like you again, but like surprised that she's there but they go to a neighbor's house while while the search is going on cuz they're like closing time basically you don't have to go home you can stay here like mm-hmm. you can go somewhere else you can do whatever you want and it was super cold outside and snowy so they were like I guess we'll just walk to the neighbor's house so they find a lot of weapons they find a loaded 22 handgun they find all kinds of swords and axes and like crossbows and stuff they said that Jason had a really strong interest in knives and swords and all kinds of stuff. Crazy. Yeah. They get the crime lab out there and it looks like there's some blood spatter on the ceiling in the living room. Luminol detects it. It's been painted over. And when they get there, Kelly's like, oh, excuse the mess. We've been renovating this house. We just got it and we're renovating it or whatever. So they have now painted the ceiling, but it does still... Show up as blood, which is, I thought was incredible. I'm like, wow, I did not think that they could find that. I mean, yeah, amazing. if it had been painted over, because you know yeah. they cleaned it too, probably. Yeah. yeah. And what the fuck is blood doing on a ceiling? Exactly. There should never be blood on the ceiling. And he, the private detective was like, it looks like cast off, like, you know, and that's cast off is you're lowering a weapon, you're raising it back up. For, for that blood next blow, yeah. Trauma, yeah. So that's pretty significant. So they need to, you know, send that off and have it tested. So then the search is over, and the Cochranes just bounce, like they just leave in the middle of the night, basically. So Frizzo talks to the neighbors of the Cochranes, and these, this is David and Todd Saylor. and they were like, "Yeah, we're not surprised that they left," but they said they were that. Kelly and Jason were both super nervous while the house was being searched. The police asked them had they heard anything suspicious around the time of Chris's disappearance. And David Saylor is like, actually, I'm so glad you asked. So he said that his grandmother had heard a gunshot and loud screaming and then a car door slamming. She said she heard two cars leaving around Kelly and Jason's house. The grandmother was brought in for questioning and She said that she heard the gunshot and she went to her window and she saw a car parked with its headlights on. She then saw a woman who seemed like she was in distress and heard a man say, hurry, let's get the hell out of here. And then the car backed out and left. So over the next few nights, David said that he heard what he thought were power tools running at the Cochran's house in the middle of the night. So if they're renovating this house, like, okay, sure, you're going to maybe like be sawing some things or working on stuff. They're only running these tools in the middle of the night. Yeah, like two, three o'clock in the morning. And David was like, You just heard it all the time, like, <sighs> like, yeah, all, all night long. Yeah, all night long. And they're like, Okay, are we looking at a possible like dismemberment at this point? So David said, You know, he'd been hanging out with Kelly and Jason, they'd become friends. And he said that they, started hanging out in September of 2014. So it wasn't very long before Chris would have gone missing that they started spending time together. Mm -hmm. But he said uh, they would hang out and smoke weed together. And then one night, this is two nights after Chris goes missing, the Cochran's invite the sailors to their house for a barbecue. And David was like, it was really weird because they'd never done that before and they've never done it again. And he said they were always broke. Like it was a big deal that they never had any money but all of a sudden, these two people who never have enough money to make their own ends meet invite us over and there's easily $150 to $200 worth of meat there. Yeah. And they are supplying everything. Yes, they're supplying everything. They're not asking, you know, bring bring something with you or anything like that. It's, it's strange. Mm-hmm. And he said, this is so gross, He said he wasn't sure what kind of meat it was. He said that it looked like it was sort of transparent, like lobster or shrimp. And he said it was something that he had never eaten before. And Mm. David is pretty sure they they ate Chris. Oh, God. Can you imagine? It's like the only other people that I feel like could say that are Dahmer's neighbors. Yeah. Yeah. It's just so it's so disgusting and to know like to look back on something like can you imagine the next time a friend or a neighbor is like hey we're having a we're having a barbecue or a cookout you'd be like fuck you i'm not coming like well yeah david said cuz he was like i i've lost a shit ton of weight since then because now he's like i can't eat mm-hmm. it's all i think about he literally cannot eat i mean mm-hmm. that's that's awful It is. And you know, and he's like, and these were people that I thought were my friends. Like, I know I like never once, you know, obviously would have thought like they're going to feed me another human being, like without my knowledge. Exactly. Not that I mean, that's never okay. But yeah, right. Like, you don't do that to somebody you're supposed to be friends with. Yep. Exactly. So March 27th, 2015, and this is two weeks after the search happened in the Cochran's home. The lab results are back, and they definitely know that it was blood. But the thing is, they couldn't tell like what kind or whose it was. They're like, "Is it an animal? Is it a person? Is it whatever?" So because of the paint and because of the cleaning solution, whatever they used, it's kind of rendered useless. So that same day, Frizzo was like. I'm going back up there and I'm going to search this house. So that second time, they took way more stuff with them, like parts of walls, doors, anything that appeared to have blood on it. And it was a lot. I don't know how investigators do it because it seems painstaking. Like the drops of blood that they were looking at were so tiny. Yeah. I don't know how they, I don't know. It's just like, you got a like needle in a haystack kind of stuff. But then Frizzo was like, I'm going to go down in the basement. And she was like, she said it was creepy. I mean, and we see it's like body cam footage. But we see her going down. But then she says that she finds some like journals that Jason had kept. And it seemed like, or she knew that they were from when he was in that mental facility that he talked about. Mm -hmm. And she was like, it kind of seemed like they were, he was talking about Chris's disappearance. Because in one of the injuries, he's like, he's talking about him being a hunter and that the feeling that a hunter gets when he's like stalking his prey. And he talks about like an unwanted guest being in his home and putting a sign on the wall that said, if you're not invited, you're not welcome. Right. I don't, I don't know. That's um, concerning. Yeah. I mean, circumstantial at best, but very circumstantial hmm Just the fact that he checks into a mental facility two days after this guy goes missing and he's got a very strong tie to this guy. That's a lot. Oh, yeah. So they are obviously looking for, or they need to know where Jason and Kelly are. I didn't see this coming. <laughs> I didn't either. The PIs that are working on the case snuck over to the Cochran's house the day before the first search happened. And they are like walking through, because it's snowy, right? So they're walking on like the tire tracks that have happened. So nobody could like detect that they're, you know, you got footprints if they don't. And like under the cover of night, they go and they stick this like ridiculous magnet that has a GPS tracker on their truck because they had this inkling that they were going to run away. And that's exactly what happened. So then they're like, oh, guess what? Totally know where they are. They're in Merrillville, Indiana. Yeah. It's like, oh, wow. Okay. That's an amazing thing that you guys already did. And I didn't know that you did it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So let's get into who Kelly Marie Cochran is. A little background on the bitch. She was born in 1980 in Merrillville, Indiana. And if I'm not saying that name right, I don't know. Whenever I heard it spoken, at first I was like, oh, Maryville, got it. And then I tried to type it and my computer was like, eh, Oh, yeah. That's not how that's spelled. So she lived right next door to Jason. And that's how they met, which is crazy. Yeah. And Kelly's mom, we hear from her. And she said that Kelly had a tough adolescence She would like run away from home multiple times. And the mom, her name is Melanie, was like, when Kelly made her mind up to do something, she would just do it. And she was put into a girl's home when she was younger. Melanie said that Jason was three years older than Kelly and he was a good kid, but he had his own issues. And she was very surprised that Kelly and Jason were even interested in each other. Like she did not see that relationship coming, but they seemed to fall in love and they started dating in high school and then got married shortly after. And they spent most of their lives in Indiana, but then they moved up to the UP and became Upers. Upers, Upers. Frizzo needs to get DNA from Kelly and Jason because they want to. Figure out what, like, try to figure out yeah whose blood is whose that they found in the the house. Like, get these profiles going. Yeah. So she contacts the Lake County Sheriff's Department in Indiana, and she wants them to help her, obviously, get the DNA. And she can't get a search warrant because she's a Mm youper, and they're (laughs) in Indiana, so we got to do something different. So they help her get the search warrant together. And Frizzo like goes down to Indiana. The police surprise them at Kelly's mom's house because again, they don't think that anybody's onto them that they know where they are, (laughs) but they've got that uh, GPS tracker tracking device. And then they get to the police station, and in walks Frizzo, and Jason's like, "You gotta be fucking kidding me!" I know. I'm sure he was like, felt like he saw a ghost. (laughs) Oh, oh. And um, so she's like, hey, Jason, here to get your DNA and how about let's talk? And he's like, yes, I'm going to get a lawyer. And she's like, fine, okay. So then she talks to Kelly and Kelly's like, I want to get a lawyer. Jason's like, you are violating my... Oh my gosh. (laughs) Yeah. My constitutional rights. Mm. I'm feeling very violated. I'm getting a lawyer. Like, okay. I mean, they got a search warrant, but also like... I just, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Whatever. (laughs) So both of them are lawyering up now. They're just, they're not going to talk. So then in the spring of 2015, Frizzo gets a search, requests a search of the Caspian pit. And divers go into the pit and they come out with a cinder block and some sort of a rope attached to a barrel. Oh, kind of like the one Phoebe played with. (laughs) <laughs> I had a barrel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That had to have been good good times. Oh yeah. Yeah. The rope was actually a clothesline though, and from talking to neighbors, Frizzo found out that the clothesline used to be attached to the Cochrane's garage, like or it ran from the garage to their house, and then at some point now it's gone. And then the neighbor also tells them that a few days after Chris's disappearance, the Cochranes were burning something. And I'm sure in that area, you know, in rural areas, people have to burn stuff. Like Miss KB has a burn pile. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you got stuff got to burn, whatever, that's fine. But there's a distinct smell when it comes to burning, right? It smells like burning. hmm mm-hmm. And he was like, I can't even begin to describe this smell. It smelled so weird. Like I'd never smelt anything like that before. Well, yeah. And he's like, I've burned everything. I've burned tires. I've burned garbage. I've burned all kinds of things. And I've never smelled a smell like that. Yeah. And he said it was so bad that he went out and was like, what are y'all burning? And she's like, oh, we'll, we'll put it out if you want us to. And they did put it out, but they're like, he, I mean, he was just like, what in the world? So the barrel divers pulled out was a burn barrel, but being in the bottom of a pit all winter emptied the barrel. there was nothing in it. And once the snow started melting, investigators could tell where the fire pit had been. So in the ashes, they found remnants from a pair of jeans and a blade from a reciprocating saw. But unfortunately, they couldn't they couldn't link those specific things to Chris. Mhm it's. There's just, it's it's one of those cases where there's so much information that piles up, you know, or like mm-hmm. so much circumstantial evidence. And it's just like, we need that one thing, you know, I know. to get like, them. Yeah, they keep finding stuff, but nothing is working. <laughs> yeah, and they finally get the results, you know, back on the blood, but the, the blood was too contaminated by paint to prove anything. They were like, it's blood, but we don't know whose." frustrating. Yeah, it's so frustrating. So then Chief Rizzo reaches out to the FBI and she's like, you know, they've now crossed state lines, maybe the FBI can help with it. And they agree to help and the first thing they do is reverse the GPS in Chris's car and they end up being able to prove that Chris was at the Cochrane home the night he disappeared. They end up also finding a rabbit's foot under the Cochrane's house. And when they end up talking to Kelly, I'm sorry, uh, Terry. Terry. Terry confirms that Chris carried a rabbit's foot around with him everywhere. He was he wasn't just a little stitious; he was superstitious, <laughs> and he carried it around with him everywhere. And they're like, you know, this is his rabbit's foot. And I also forgot about how I used to have a rabbit's foot because I got it at the skating ring. Was gonna? St- I knew exactly where you got it. <laughs> <laughs> I had just enough tickets to get that rabbit's foot, and now I'm like. Fucking gross. I can't believe I carried that around. So I know about rabbit's feet. I get it. And the name, it's just right there, rabbit's foot. But this rabbit's foot that they pulled out from underneath the house, it's like missing a lot of the hair and all that's left is like the bones. And I guess in my mind, I was like, oh, weird. It's an actual rabbit's foot. Yep. It's an actual rabbit's foot. All right. just terrible. Like, oh, gosh. Yeah. Well, Torella, let's be real. You used to carry around dead moles because they were soft. They were very soft. <laughs> okay. Some stuff that we did when we were little, if I say it out loud and the reaction that I get from people, I'm like, oh, that's not normal. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's not normal. You gotta do what you gotta do out in the country. I guess so. Yeah. All goes back to that burn pile, doesn't it? <laughs> so, we've now found the rabbit's foot. We know he was there the night he disappeared. <laughs> I'm like, are you kidding me, Kelly? like, W-T-A-F. Then in February of 2016, Lake County Sheriff's Department in Indiana gets a 911 call from none other than Kelly Cochran. And guess what? Hmm. Her husband's not breathing. (gasps) He had no pulse. He was unresponsive. By the time the ambulance got there, he he was already dead. And they... EMT has said that when they got there, because she did call nine one one, but when they got there, they were like, "Oh my gosh, she she was kind of hindering them. Yeah, like she was like very uncooperative. Yeah, she was making it so that they couldn't get to him. Almost like they're like, she's I'm supposed to be here to be giving him aid, right? But." She's making it so that I can't get to him. It's like she's trying to make it so that he doesn't get help and Mm -hmm. make sure that he passes away, which he does. And that brings in Jeremy Ogden. So he is going to investigate Jason Cochran's death. And I think this is really, this is like in the Sam Little case, this is Jim Holland. Yes. Like this is what gets her to open up. I think with Kelly, the reason she opens up and talks to him is because she thinks that he's into her. I really yeah. think so. No, I mean that's how she that's how she rolls. Like yeah. she loves any kind of attention that she gets from men. Yeah, she's not going to talk to Frizzo because Frizzo's competition to her, I think in her eyes, like mm-hmm. it's definitely something where she only wants to talk to a man. And mm-hmm. this is exactly what they needed. But They at first were thinking that it was a possible overdose because there's drugs nearby. But Ogden is like, this does, I don't know, this doesn't seem right. So he attends the autopsy and wants to kind of give the examiner some of the details around his death, just to give him that full picture. And the examiner noted that there were some marks on the body that indicate suffocation and strangulation. His sinus cavities were collapsed. And the autopsy ruled it a homicide. Because she's evaded arrest so far, I'll say that she's clever. You know, she's smart enough. Right. Why? She obviously has never watched or listened to a true crime podcast, hasn't watched anything about true crime. To know that no, almost no matter what you do, it comes back. You can figure it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So on February ninth. Detective Ogden interviews Kelly at the Hobart Police Department and he starts out asking about Jason and like his death and how she's doing and whatever. And then he switches to Chris and he's like, Listen, I really think that you could help us with this case, but I'm not saying that you're a suspect. I'm asking for your help as a witness. And Kelly's like, Oh, no, the fuck, you're not. Like, I'm not talking about it. And then the FBI tells Ogden, about a friend of Jason's. His name is Walt Ammerman. And this is Jason's best friend. And he's somebody that they played online games with, like his online gaming bud. Mm -hmm. So Walt had come forward and he had contacted the police about some stuff that he knew because he found out that Jason had passed away. And he's like, he was young, like 37. You shouldn't pass away abruptly, you're like out of nowhere like that. Right. And so Ogden's like, listen, Walt, can you be an informant for us? And what we want you to do is we want you to call Kelly and you tell her that you have a letter that Jason mailed to you. And it's all made up. It's not true. And Walt's like, yeah, I'll do it. But he was like, no amount of acting classes is going to prepare you for that. Right. I can't even imagine. Yeah. Yeah, that would be so scary. Oh, yeah. I mean that my stomach would be in my butt the entire time. I know, you know, he's like calling her and his hands just like shaking like, Mm -hmm. oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Because you don't want her to be like, obviously you're lying, but yeah. Yeah, or like suspicious or something. It's just, yeah. Yeah. So he calls her and he's like, look, I got a letter from Jason on January, like, you know, I don't know, the fourth or the fifth or something. And it had a note inside of it from him. And then another letter. Inside, and it says, you know, if anything were to happen to me, I need to mail the letter. And the letter is to the Iron River Police Department. And he's like, I just wasn't sure what to do about it. I thought I should tell you. And she just goes, please don't. Please don't. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. he's like, okay, so she definitely had something to do with it. Right. And two days later, all of a sudden, she's like, oh, hey, uh, Ogden girl. I have been just meaning to call you. I'm super swamped. Um, we need to have a talk though. I got to talk to you about this letter. <laughs> so she goes back to the police department and she's like, I'll tell you what happened to Chris Regan. Reagan. She said Chris is dead and Jason shot and killed him. Of course. How convenient. Mm-hmm. She said that Jason shot Chris in the head. And then she said that he got rid of him, that he'd cut him up. Detective Ogden is like, look, we need to bring Chris home. Like, we his kids need to know where he is. His kids need to be able to bury him. And she's like, eh, well, that might be hard. And Ogden's like, no, you know where he is. Like, let's get this over with. So they drive from Indiana up to the UP, and when they get to Iron River, she takes them to a county road. 639 Pentoga Trail, she said, is the spot where they dumped his remains. So while detectives are in that spot looking for the remains, Kelly agrees to go with Ogden to her old house to do a reenactment of what happened that night. And of course, she changes this, you know, many times. But she said that she and Chris were having sex in the doorway of her house because they didn't even make it upstairs. And also, like, I just feel like She's trying to she's trying to be sexy? Yes, trying to like start this conversation and get him to want to have this conversation with her. Right. And she's like just garbage. Like she's so gross. And the way she talks about it she's just like kind of giggling like oh well you know I mean we were just so into what was happening we couldn't even cuz he's like Right here in the middle of the doorway. That's yeah. where, y'all were, where y'all were doing it. And she was like, well, you know, we couldn't, <laughs> we couldn't make it upstairs. Yeah. Ugh, just whatever. So then she said that she didn't know Jason was in the house, which, again, why would you not know he's in the house? He has nowhere else to go and you have the only vehicle. Yeah. Well, exactly. Where, the, where fuck the fuck else, fuck else, would, else he would he be? He be? Yeah. <gasps> Jinx. Oh, my God. Jinx. Pokey on so, and you can see Ogden is like, yeah, I don't believe this shit, but whatever. Well, and he's like, he keeps having to tell her because he's like, okay, let's do this. Let's let's have this reenactment. And she just kind of stands there and he's like, okay, if I'm being Chris and you're being you, where's Chris? Okay, now you get in position. Do it. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. Who walked up the stairs first? Like, whatever. So she's like, you know, I didn't know Jason was in the house and Chris is walking up the steps. So we're going up, I guess, into the house. Yeah cuz they kind of have a split level I guess like it's you walk into the door down the stairs is the basement behind like we walk into I guess like your left is the basement downstairs and there's like three or four steps going up to the, like the living room the kitchen mm-hmm. to the right yeah and then she says that Jason emerges from the basement shoots right past her and then kills Chris and then she says that while so they bring his body down to the basement, I guess. And Jason forces her to dismember the body and then clean it up. And she said it took her 24 hours just to clean everything. And she said that the pieces of Chris were small depending on the body part. Investigators did not find any parts of Chris in the forest. So Kelly is brought back to Indiana where she's supposed to meet Ogden for a polygraph test and then head back to the UP. But the day she's supposed to meet, she texts Ogden and says, the West Coast looks good this time of day. So she's gone again because they haven't arrested her yet. Yeah. Which I didn't understand because I'm like, if you were present for a murder and present for the cleanup, like I know you're saying Jason shot him and killed him, but you've not come forward with this information to the police. There's obviously a reason for that. But if you were part of disposing of a body, that's a crime. Like, exactly. So, she fleeds again. Fleeds. Fleet. Flet. Oh, my God. <laughs> she flees again. She flees again. I don't know why I want that D in there. She fleeds. <laughs> she fleds. Whatever. She is gone is basically what I'm trying to <laughs> <She> say. Are you in N-O-F-T? <laughs> she did. She did. So, she's, you know, who knows where the fuck she is. But... um. <laughs> Ogden is like, okay, so I'm just going to keep texting her. Because if I keep texting, then she'll turn her phone on and check them. And yeah, then we got can find to know. her. <laughs> yeah, she's got to know. And of course it works. Because again, I think she's trying to flirt with him. And so yeah. she's, she's like, oh my God, here's another one. He's totally into me. like Whatever. <laughs> and they find her in Kentucky. So US Marshals take her down. So they end up arresting her. And... She looks very rough. Yeah. Like even rougher than normal. She's got a bunch of marks all over her face that look like sores. Like, I don't know what the deal is, but anyway, she's gross. Yeah. And like seeing her in that photo, because she's smiling in the photo, yeah. which well, is, is, why does anybody smile in a... Yeah. Yeah. Because maybe if you get a camera in front of your face, it's instinctual to just smile. But I'm yeah. like, you're being arrested for a murder here. Well, okay. yeah. And I mean, like, think about Jody Arias. She's like, can I freshen up a bit? They're like, Ugh. this is your mugshot, bitch. No. <laughs> right? No. <laughs> yeah. I know. Not gonna. But happen. yeah. Kelly's got a lot of tattoos. Like she's got a lot of butterfly tattoos and stuff like that. And yeah. looking at her in that photo, just in general, I hate to be this way. No, I don't care. She makes me be like, Oh, I shouldn't, I should have rethought tattoos. Yeah, now you're realizing how much trash you are. Whoa! Yeah. Yes. Her, yeah. And like, if you have tattoos, obviously, we support that. If you have butterfly tattoos, great. She, her, she is just a garbage human. Everything about yeah. her sucks. And- If you are Kelly Cochran, then that's yeah. not gonna go okay for us. And yeah. her butterfly tattoos are significant, mm-hmm. possibly, and that's why we don't like them. But- she is arrested for homicide, home invasion, disinterment, mutilation, concealing death, lying to police, and accessory. So now she's like, okay, I guess I should go ahead and tell you this. Not only was I there and mm-hmm. I helped like get rid of Chris, but I was supposed to have killed him myself. So she said that she and Jason had this blood pact. And she said that 14 years before that on their wedding night that he told her that if she ever had an affair, she was supposed to kill that person. Or Jason would kill her. I do not believe this at all. No, because it's a lie. Yeah. (laughs) And she says that, you know, that night she was just doing what they had agreed to do. Now, supposedly she's had affairs with a lot of people. Eric Erickson still seems to be fine. Yeah. What about that? I know. And supposedly Jason knew about Eric too, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So it just, it doesn't make sense. So she says she met Chris that night at the front door and Jason was waiting at the back door. So she brought him there knowing exactly what was going to happen. And she told Chris to go to the back door. And then when he walked in the back door, Jason shot him. And then they end up transferring her to the Iron City PD. And... Now she says she had nothing to do with Chris's death, but she felt like she should say she did because she just felt guilty that Chris isn't here anymore. Like, but she just told him that because, like, she feels like it's her fault because they were having a relationship. So it's like indirectly her fault. Mm-hmm. So she, that's she why she said wrong. she knew. Yeah. Except for being in love with him. That was her biggest flaw. Right? Exactly. That, ugh, God. So. They end up bringing her to the woods to try to locate Chris's remains again. And they can't, they're having trouble finding it. So they bring in a dog handler. And while the dogs are attempting to locate the remains, Kelly is asked by Chief Frizzo about the dismemberment. And she's like, oh yeah, you know, it took a super long time. Jason was sawing for hours. And she's like giggling about it when she talks. And Frizzo goes, It must give you some sort of enjoyment. And she says, Yeah, the high, the blood, seeing the blood and tasting it. And she's like, Not like, I'm not like a vampire or anything, but I just, I like to taste it. What the hell? I know. I know. I will be honest. I have tasted blood because sometimes your girl gets too excited about eating and bites her own cheek or tongue. Mm -hmm. It has happened before. Yeah. I don't like the taste of it. It's disgusting. And also, Mm -hmm. one time I, basically broke my whole face off yeah. while I was on a go-kart and I swallowed so much blood. I don't understand the enjoyment there. I just will not, I no, do not get it. makes it. you super nauseated and like, yes. yeah. Mm, yeah, not good. So the dog ends up finding a bag by a tree that Kelly was like, you know, this is where we buried it. And and she said they had put his body parts into bags and the bag had been shredded and it was obvious that animals had gotten to it and there was nothing inside. Ugh. How frustrating, right? I know. It's obvious that there were human remains because the dog won't alert to anything that's not. Yeah. Ugh, so frustrating. Yeah. And like Frizzo has had so many of these instances, like they found the blood spatter in the home and she's like, okay, I can finally tie Chris to the home, right? And then it's just too like contaminated because they'd painted over it. It's just like... She's so close yet so far. Exactly, yeah. So... Then the dog comes across a rock and next to it was Chris's skull. And then later on, they end up finding a lower jawbone that was confirmed to be Chris's. So Kelly does also show police where the murder weapon was hidden. They had tossed that into the Caspian pit behind their house. And she also told them about forceps that were used to try to pull the bullet out of Chris's skull. And investigators had overlooked them. And they were the one piece of evidence that had Chris's blood on them. Here is a question. Mm-hmm. If And weren't they still next to the sink or some shit? Yeah, they were like literally were on the side out. of the sink. Yeah. If you go to search somebody's house who you believe have murdered somebody and you see forceps laying by the sink, do do most people have forceps? I would think not. I honestly, when they said forceps, I was like, what the fuck is a forcep? Yeah, that's a medical instrument. There's no reason that most people are going to have that inside their homes, especially out, like it's just been washed. Mm-hmm. I'm very, like, it's not like it was a fork, you know? Right, yeah. Like, so what, I don't know. I'm just very surprised. They're like, oh, we didn't even notice this forceps. there. Yeah, it's not like they used two forks like Mrs. Doubtfire and created a pincer. Exactly. So Kelly goes to trial. Opening statements begin on Valentine's Day 2017. She continues to argue that she was a victim of her husband and she had no choice but to go through with it. The jury was like, yeah, fucking right. (laughs) So she was found guilty on all counts. She was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. And she was also sentenced to 65 years in prison for the strangulation death of her husband in Indiana. And she pled guilty to that. Mm-hmm. And there are in the home, there's like tons of butterflies all over the house. And when she's talking to Ogden at one point after, I think maybe after they found Chris's remains, he says, are there other bodies? And she's like, oh yeah. And like her mom talks to her at one point and was like, what is wrong with you? Like what, what is your deal with Killing people, like what is happening? Mm-hmm. And she's like, "Mom, I've always been this way." Yeah, because the mom's like, "When? When did this turn? When, yeah, you should have told me. We yeah. could have maybe gotten you help." And she was like, "I, I'm beyond help. There's yeah. nothing that you can do to help me." Yeah, she I've enjoys been like it. this forever. Yeah, yeah. And so apparently, these she's got how many butterfly tattoos? Like fourteen or fifteen? And this is yeah. supposed to be like representative of her victims. Well, yes, she says that they represent close people that she's lost uh-huh yeah and for those like all oh, the people you killed okay right it's just so ugh. yeah so no. that's it that's the story of kelly cochran what a young <laughs> bitch yeah it grossed me out five million mm-hmm. so there's that and, and like If you look at, if you watch the interviews with Jason, I think that he is a very broken person. I think that, I mean, he said multiple times because they're like, why do you stay with somebody who openly cheats on you and you're asking her to come home and not do that? And he's like, the alternative is I lose her. He did not want to lose her. He was going to do whatever he had to do to keep her around. I don't get it. It's again, one of those like beer flavored nipples types of situations. Oh, 100%. This is definitely a beer flavored nipples case. And he ended up getting murdered himself by her. So you tell me, was she the mastermind or was he? Exactly. He died at her hands. And it's like, I I mean, he just did everything in his power because they tried multiple times when they brought them back in to be interviewed. They're like, Frizzo, the second time that they went into the Iron City police, Mm -hmm. uh, Iron River, excuse me. She was like, listen, Jason, because they talked to Kelly first. And then they're like, listen, she." told us everything. We know what happened here. And he's like, I'm not saying anything. No, 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 no. that's not what happens. She, they, they're like, listen, you need to speak. We think that it's all her. Just tell us what happened. He's like, absolutely not. But then they tell her that he spilled the beans about everything. And she's like, of course he did. Just. hmm. Yeah. His crime was loving her and he got sucked into it. Yeah, Absolutely. I again, you know, it's one of those things we just finished up Love Fraud, which this would have come out way after, but we finished up Love Fraud and it's one of those things where I'm like, Kelly Cochran and uh, Richard Scott Smith, I'm like, how do you pull the ass? How did you do it? Oh, what is the deal? Is it different for women? Like, if you just bust it wide open, you're like, it's a given that you're going to find somebody.
0: I don't know. I don't get it. I don't get it. So there's that. There's that. Well, we
1: hate her. And we're sure you do too. And, uh, you know, we'll catch you on the next episode. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening. Bye. Bye. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this case. Connect with us on Instagram or Facebook to continue the conversation. Thanks for listening and we will meet you back here next week. Bye. The theme song for the show is created and composed by Stephen Toby. You can find more of Stephen's work on SoundCloud. Our logo was created by Sloan Williams of Sophisticated Crayon. You can find more of her work on Etsy. Visit us at killerqueenspodcast.com for merch and other info about the show.